All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. I am with a very special guest today. We have Victoria Rivera on the show. Um, Victoria is a wellness psychotherapist. She has a private practice in New York City. Um, Victoria originally attended Colgate University, um, attending uh, Columbia University School of Social Work for grad school, and then beginning her career as a social worker in the Bronx. Um, during her work, uh, she completed the New York University Institute uh, for Psychoanalytic Education, Adult Psychodynamic Psychotherapy Program, a certification in mindfulness-based stress reduction, and the Institute for Integrative Nutrition's Health Coaching Certification Program. Uh, Victoria started her private practice in 2014, incorporating all of her knowledge and experience to providing holistically-oriented treatment to New Yorkers who are type A personalities with high-functioning anxiety who struggle with self-care and finding meaning in their lives. Victoria has expanded her work to corporate America, providing wellness workshops and meditation training to businesses in New York City. Some of the companies she's worked with are Ballet Hispanico, Wellness, and the C3 Method, and Nap York. Victoria, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I kind of wanted to get started just by kind of, you know, you sounds like you have a really interesting um, path, you know, into this um, kind of line of work. And I was just curious what originally piqued your curiosity. So I actually got really lucky when I was in college uh, at Colgate, uh, an undergrad, I, w I wanted to be a physician. I started taking biology classes and then I took some psychology classes. I was super interested, much more interested in psychology and did so much better in psychology than in biology. And I also uh, was interested in religion and sociology and anthropology. So I just started taking those types of classes. And I think what really solidified kind of going into social work and becoming a therapist was going to India. I studied abroad in India when I was a junior in college. And, you know, I just, I don't know if you've ever been or, you know, just going into a totally different culture and, um, and meeting all new people that thought differently. Um, it, was, it was just so, um, it was so interesting and so um, amazing to see how much the culture and society affected how people were like living. And so I just, I really felt like, you know, um, this would be something that I would, really like to do is like learn more about how people are affected by their culture and by society and so that's when i uh, applied to school uh, at columbia university and got my degree in social work and then kind of from there i wanted to actually work with families and children i was really interested in helping kids uh, you know learn how to you know cope with stress and, and manage stuff managing things in their lives Unfortunately, I was actually really sensitive uh, more to kids than to adults um, because they didn't have a lot of control over their environment. And so, you know, if they were having, you know, a conflicted time with like their families or at school, you know, you don't really have a lot of, I mean, you see the kids maybe for 45 minutes, 50 minutes out of the week. So the treatment for them, um, for me, it just didn't feel like I didn't feel like I was doing much. So I thought, you know, I would rather actually work with adults. And so at 
in the Bronx. I worked at a day treatment program, which is a program that serves people who have both mental health issues and substance abuse issues. And I did that for about two years. And then I worked at a community mental health center in Manhattan for 12 years, providing individual and group um, therapy to people who have, who had like, you know, diagnosed with schizoaffective or schizophrenia to bipolar disorder to somebody who just had a breakup and needed support. So I had had a lot of experience and how I got to where I am today and why I call myself a wellness psychotherapist is in that experience that I had, um, you know, we've, un unfortunately there's a stigma, there's a stigma of mental health and mental health issues when really what, what it is, it's a re it's a reaction that people have. Like people are depressed for a reason. They're anxious for a reason. Uh, you know, have bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. I mean, those reasons are a little bit more difficult to discern. I mean, some of it's genetic, some of it's like, you know, past trauma. So it's really hard. But but the, the thing that they have in common is what can you do now to kind of help yourself? And it goes back to really physiology and biology first and foremost, and then the psychology of how you think. And so um, in, in doing kind of like the, uh, my training, of course, doing psychodynamic, psychoanalytic training, I learned a lot about the psychology of people, but what we miss, I think, is the biology and physiology of people. And so hence the mindfulness-based meditation uh, training uh, and also the uh, integrative nutritional health coaching uh, degree right. that I more it's it's more holistically looking at the person as opposed to just saying oh you have this disorder and this is the treatment because you know we know that actually that does not work now that we have so much research to back up that we're really unique organisms that require different ways of like kind of different treatments and different ways of like working with ourselves absolutely and I, I do want to get into that. But first, just going back to something you said about, you know, the trip to India, I'm curious, um, you know, what did you see in, in that kind of culture or that society? Um, was it something that you saw that they were sort of doing better than maybe, you know, uh, the Western, Western culture or American culture um, that kind of got you to think, okay, what if there's a better way to do this or... Mm -hmm. what, what was the thought process there? Uh, well, that's, I mean, that's a really good question. I think sometimes we like to idealize like other, you know, cultures and countries. And I think India kind of gets that because of the yoga, uh, the meditation. Um, so there's obviously lots of issues and problems and stuff. I, and, and I think probably what, when I was there, what I saw was a lot of poverty. Uh-huh nothing that I had ever seen in the U.S. before. And it was very, it was jarring and it was really sad in many ways, but I was looking at it through my lens of being a Westerner um, and being from the U.S. And even though my family's like working class, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I really felt like, you know, I had so much privilege and so much gratitude for what I did have. I think that like kind of was one thing that struck me. But I think probably the most important thing was that even though there was poverty, not everybody obviously was poor, but 
there, but you could really see it, you know, there were, there were slums, there were people, you know, begging for money on the streets, um, kids begging for money, which you don't see in America. Um, and hopefully we'll never see that. Uh, I think that that really shifted my uh, perception of like poverty and help, but also people still were happy um, in some ways and, and, or seemingly happy or joyful um, in, in being where they were and what their lives were. Now I'm not saying that, you know, that they were, I, I don't know exactly what they were experiencing, but from my perspective, you know, having conversations with Native people, you know, they seem to be okay with, you know, living their lives day to day, um, you know, making ends meet um, and finding joy in small things like a Bollywood movie or, uh, you know, having a great like dosa or something like that. So, so um, I think that's kind of where, I think that really shifted my mindset on how, how, how I was living in this world, in the Western world, and being exposed to a totally different culture, and what I could do here to help um, with bringing that forth. And I guess that's probably why that purpose and meaning is very, very important for me and the work that I do and helping people understand that because we can, on so many levels, uh, take things for granted and also not have um, things that are really important in our lives are priorities, which are like relationships, which are connecting with nature and the earth, which is, you know, our environment, um, you know, intellectually stimulating ourselves. So I think that that's probably why it shifted so much for me. It was such a powerful experience. Right, right. That's very cool. Um, yeah, just being able to see people who, I mean, even if there is such, you know, extreme poverty and suffering going on, people still being able to, I guess, you know, um, take advantage or, or just, you know, um, enjoy the, the good things in life um, mm -hmm. that maybe, you know, we kind of take for granted, um, you know, in America. Uh, I, it, it brought to mind, I don't know if you've seen the study about basically that, that sort of uh, wealth curve where it's, you know, your level of happiness, they say, kind of goes up until that, I think they, it was like $75,000. Yeah. And then once you make over that, it kind of just flatlines. So kind of mm -hmm. from, from my understanding of that study, it was kind of like, all right, so, you know, yes, it does make you happier to have enough money that you don't have to worry about, you know, paying the bills month to month. And you're not worried over all of those, you know, little, you know, big financial stressors. Um, but then once you, you actually have, you know, the, the financial resources to live comfortably, more money is not necessarily equal to, you know, more happiness. Right. Yeah. But, like you said, more money, more problems. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So, okay. So you were, you were talking about, you briefly mentioned the, the psycho psychodynamic or psychoanalytics. Can mm -hmm. you tell me, and can you tell our listeners just a little, what, what is that? And, and sort of what, uh, how do you incorporate that into your practice now? So, uh, psychoanalytic therapy or, uh, treatment is actually that classic, like, 
you know, therapist sitting in a chair and the patient and the couch and the therapist is writing or napping. You see a lot of like <laughs> little jokes and cartoons about that. Right. So really what that is, is, is um, you, ha- you kind of have to think about like us as like an iceberg. So the tip of the iceberg is what you can see and what you're aware of, what our conscious awareness is. Um, but below the surface, there are, there's an unconscious. And then there, even below that, there's a, uh, Carl Jung uh, talked about a collective unconscious, which I think actually um, is something that we don't really talk a lot about, but is also really important in understanding, you know, uh, why we do what we do uh, as, as humans. So uh, what psychoanalytic therapy is, is really uh, about understanding the unconscious processes that are going on that are kind of motivating you to do the things that you do, to feel the way that you feel and to think how you think. And so um, psychodynamic is is an offshoot of that. And it's a little, I mean, psychoanalytic training is much deeper and, you know, there's, you know, you have to do it for five years. It's almost like a PhD program. Um, But psychoanalytic is something that, you know, you can have a good understanding of the psychoanalytic process, the psychoanalytic process, but not necessarily go that deep where you're sitting behind, you know, your patient and writing down your notes and seeing them for three or sometimes even five times out of the week. And the patient is just like kind of free associating and just saying what whatever is on their mind. And so the analyst like will write down and and every once in a while, maybe give an interpretation or say something, but not often. So psychodynamic has some of those elements, but the, the, um, the process is that you're talking to the person face-to-face. Uh, you're building a connection with them and whatever comes up for them, you, you're listening for the unconscious stuff that, that they're talking about. And then you're also, then you're helping them to see how it's, coming out in their behaviors and their thoughts and and their patterns and ways of being in their relationships. Um, But particularly like their core beliefs that they have about themselves and helping them to understand how to deal with that, um, how to understand their core beliefs and how their core beliefs get played out in their day-to-day life. And, you know, obviously people, when they come to therapy, they, they, there's a problem. There's usually a presenting problem that has prompted them to come to see somebody like me. And usually that problem is like just, again, the tip of the iceberg of deeper unconscious and even collective unconscious uh, um, thoughts and ways of being. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like then is the goal to kind of help them uh, or kind of bring to the surface or help them understand the core beliefs or processes that are sort of driving their their conscious behavior and creating the problems that maybe are uh, bringing them to you know see you in the first place exactly that's exactly what it is that and then I would also add is the relationship and that's why I prefer the psychodynamic method and is because you are connecting with somebody um, on a personal level you're developing that sense of safety that relationship that is really, really important, especially for somebody who has had a history of trauma or, or just a, 
I mean, there's macro trauma, there's, which is, you know, the big traumas that, you know, people think of child abuse and neglect and, um, and, and so forth. But there's also micro traumas, which are just as impactful and that could be emotional neglect um, and deprivation, uh, you know, kind of be feeling like your parent criticized you or didn't like you in some way. That, that impacts people profoundly. And so helping people to have a connection with somebody who they can trust, especially if they haven't had that in their lives or they've had very few people that they can trust is a huge part of how why treatment actually works um and that and 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 it take and that takes time so not only are you again like you said beautifully building a self-awareness about you know why you're how your unconscious and your beliefs are are propelling your behavior you're also building a trusting relationship with somebody who actually who really cares and who's really listening to you and has the knowledge and understanding of figuring out, okay, this is kind of typically, I mean, I use a lot of like evolutionary psychology and evolutionary biology just because, I mean, this is what we have, right? I mean, we've been doing a lot. There's been so many great studies in neuroscience and biology, I mean, everything, and kind of trying to pull together like what it is to just like kind of be a human and then what it is for you to be a human with your individual experience and trying to help somebody figure that out. And I think that um, that's the, I mean, if there's another way, I don't know, but that's been successful, at least in my practice and um, also for myself uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And just that, that kind of like human connection or being able to like really share something with someone else seems like something that's like really important just for, you know, just our general like relationships that, that we have with people, you know, outside of, you know, just therapy. But I'm, I'm curious, kind of like, what do you feel like there's any, any sort of main difference, say, the, you know, between, you know, if someone say, is seeing you, and then they have, you know, their best friend who they talk to about a lot of their, you know, deeper issues, and someone to confide in, what, uh, what element does the, you know, your training and, and everything play and able to, in order to kind of help them move past whatever they're kind of dealing with? Yeah. Well, you know, you're right. Relationships are, are very, very healing and having a really good friend, a best friend that you could talk to and that you could say anything to or a partner um, or, you know, anybody is is great and actually we all need that in addition to having a therapist and this is the difference i'll tell you is that um as a therapist you know the training is such that we are we train there's a i don't remember who says this but with a third ear when you're listening to your best friend or your or your partner you're not necessarily listening with that third ear you're you can send, you can, you know, hopefully you're compassionate and empathetic and loving kind to them and, and they are to you when they're listening to you. Um, and we are that in addition to, to everything else. But what we're, what the third year is really about hearing the underlying patterns and the underlying issues that the person is going through 
and experiencing and um, exhibiting as we're talking to them. So, you know, your best friend might not be able, might not hear that because they've known you for this period of time and there's a block, right? There's, this, you know, we all kind of have a level of awareness of ourselves and then we have an, we don't have an awareness sometimes about all of our, all, uh, all about our, ourselves. So there's something that a friend could notice about us and then they'll tell us and we might not be able to really kind of hear that or maybe we are able to hear it if we really trust and trust them so really what what we do is we are just much more objective in terms of being able to see you as a person in the environment and based on your experiences so a best friend obviously is great everybody needs one everybody needs a good partner or partners and people in their lives uh, social wellness is actually a very important part of you know the work that I do with people is helping to connect with them but again you know a lot of people who've had trauma micro macro trauma especially emotional deprivation they have a hard time really trusting people so they can have a best friend and not really tell them everything uh, so again you know we're fostering and facilitating a trusting relationship so that we can really help them with moving forward and then also being able to make to 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 have more trusting relationships in their in their lives moving forward so right. that's that difference sure no that makes a lot of sense that's yeah it's interesting um i'm curious as far as you know you mentioned in the in your bio as far as working with these you know type a new yorkers um you know and i'm curious what you know i guess what are the different challenges as far as uh, you know them versus your typical uh, client? Um, if there is a typical client, maybe there's not. Um, but what specifically uh, do you work with them um, to help them? I think you mentioned really to help them find meaning in their lives. Yeah. So I mean, you have to understand the. So another part of like the wellness. So when I call, I call myself a wellness psychotherapist because the Substance Abuse and Mental Health uh, Association under the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has eight dimensions of wellness that they work through, right? And I'll go through them, and then I just added one. So the first is physical. The second is emotional. This, this is how I kind of frame it. Uh, the third is spiritual. The fourth is, is social. The fifth for me is intellectual. I feel like we always need to learn. Uh, the sixth is occupational. The seventh is financial. The, um, the eighth is environmental. And the ninth is service. So that's kind of how I like frame the work that I do with people. So that eighth one environment is very, very interesting. So a lot of people who live in New York aren't actually really from New York. They come and, you know, there's, uh, multi-billion dollar companies here and corporations and um, people who kind of are more on the anxious side end up and also have kind of uh, are perfectionists or they have this they want to succeed they want to be successful in what uh, our culture and in, in, uh, in country deems as being successful, which is like having financial resources, having status and power and money and all, all those things, right? So you, you get a lot of people who come to this, come to the city 
wanting, wanting that. And there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Uh, they're high achievers. Um, they like to work and like to work hard. Now, what I've noticed is New York in and of itself is kind of an anxious environment. So when we talk about environmental wellness, um, just the, the vibe of the city. I mean, you know, the whole set, this whole saying, the city that never sleeps, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we actually, there's been research about, about people's autonomic nervous system and their sympathetic part of the nervous system, which is the fight, flight, and freeze, gets activated in certain environments. So in, in a city environment, most people, not everybody, not all the time, but you're more likely to be activated um, sympathetically than maybe if you're in a country town, right? Makes total sense. Mm -hmm. So you already have kind of quite a population here that's skewed more towards being on the anxious side. So in the work that I do with people who have type A personalities, and high functioning, high functioning anxiety is you don't necessarily want to take that high functioning anxiety away. What you want to do is you want to help them cope with not being on the sympathetic part of their nervous system all the time because what we know from uh, research and, and, and I mean there's just been so much that being on sympathetic all the time is not healthy. It's not, it's not how human beings are meant to be. And unfortunately, because of our minds and our ideas of what we're pursuing as being important, we could get, we get triggered into, if I don't do this, then, oh my God, this is going to happen. And then that makes you so much more anxious and so much more stressed. And when you're stressed and anxious, what happens? You, you know, your immune system shuts down. You start to uh, develop autoimmune issues you start to cope uh, using things that aren't so helpful for you, like caffeine, uh, like alcohol, um, drugs, because uh, you, you, you try, you can't calm your, your nervous system down even at night, you know, there's this feeling of being like pretty tired, but still feeling wired. So I get a lot of people who have insomnia. Um, it's really helping people look, you can, you can live the life that you want, but you have to, figure out what it is that you want out of your life. What are your priorities? And is it because of what you think, you know, your, you want because of, you know, so you had a father who was um, judgmental and only wanted you to become like a, a CEO. And, and, you know, if, if you didn't have his like love or appreciation, Oh, the only way to get that was to be successful in this way in school or at work. And even that, you know, does that, is that really, is, what does that mean for you in terms of your physical and emotional well-being? Um, so it's really about trying to help them understand what are you doing this for? And if it is something that you want to continue to do, that you enjoy the work that you're doing, that's totally fine. But how do you start to implement some parasympathetic part, which is the the, you know, the rest, the digest, mm -hmm. the breeding, uh, the breathing. How do you implement uh, things in your life that you can, um, you know, get, get that system on? And so that's where the mindfulness meditation stuff comes in. That's where uh, helping people to understand what their sympathetic nervous system response even looks like. I mean, you know, some people go into fight, some people go into flight. Some people go into freeze. Um, 
it depends upon that. So it's really, again, like building that self-awareness and then figuring out what you want out of your life and then adjusting to, to um, what your body needs and what your brain needs to what you think you might want rationally in, in your life. Right, right. Yeah. And I do want to I do want to jump into the the mindfulness meditation piece um, in a sec. But first, I'm curious, just as far as like how how many people I don't know if you can give a percent or or just you know on average like the people that come to you and and as you're saying you know some people may have this you know sort of desperate drive to to succeed in some way externally because of you know, what someone else wanted them to do or what they think society thinks they should do. How many people do you see who are really just doing it, who are, who are just trying to, you know, do it for themselves, you know, to achieve their own goals versus to satisfy someone else's desires? That's a really great question. And I, I don't think I really know the answer, but I would, I would say that it, it's fairly low. Because when you scratch the surface of why we do what we do, like there is some sort of like internal motivation um, that it it uh, that has been laid out early on in in childhood, you know. So I think most people have a lot of anxiety about being in the world, just generally. Um, I think that that's like kind of, uh, I would say pretty universal. And then depending upon your early experiences, how does that kind of get shaped? Um, I would say, I mean, I always go back to this Bonnie Ware. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She wrote this book called uh, The Five Regrets of the Dying. Huh. No, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, she was a palliative care nurse, and so she she wrote this book, and, and the top five regrets, the first one is, I wish I would have lived a life that I wanted to live and not what others expected of me. I think because there's so much, I think we don't really quite understand often why we do what we do. Again, that's that unconscious. So if we have more awareness about why we're doing what we're doing, we might shift to do something that's actually more beneficial for ourselves and more in alignment with what we want in our lives. Because I don't think that it's a it's healthy to be anxious all the time or to be depressed. Now, you know, of course, when it's, you know, when you need to, because you need to, you know, take care of yourself or if you're in a life or death situation, but honestly, like a lot of that isn't really happening now. Well, I mean, I say that with COVID right now, but uh prior to all of this right. uh, still like i think the anxiety is just heightened now um generally because now the reality is that people can die from this right so um but to get back to what previously that 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 first regret is i wish i would have lived a life that i wanted to live and not what others expected of me i think sometimes we don't even really realize that we're living a life that others want for us and not that we necessarily want for ourselves. And I think it's so hard to tease that out, right? Because you can, you know, you, you could say, Oh, I've always wanted to be a doctor, but really your mom was the one who put it in you, you know, it's planted that seed 
early on and um, maybe you wouldn't have wanted to do that. I mean, I think that's why therapy is so helpful because then you can kind of like suss all of that out and figure and figure that what that, what that is for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like also there has to be just some inherent, like whatever sort of, you know, success in, in whatever profession that people are trying to achieve. There seems to be, you know, some inherent sense of like, you know, trying to get, you know, others acceptance or admiration, right? Or, you know, we're social creatures. So it makes sense that, you know, we, we want other people to, you know, see us in a high regard, I guess, even if, even if we think we're, you know, following our dream, you know, and, and doing it for ourselves, do you think, you know, it seems like there's some, some component of whatever, you know, form of success we're looking for. That's like, we want other people to kind of take notice and talk about, you know, look at what Victoria's made of herself or you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Being seen and being recognized is a primary human need, right? Right. It, It starts off with our caregivers. Right. Right. Yeah. It seems like a, yeah, very powerful drive. Well, it's also, right? I mean, you know, if, if we were in the savannas of Africa and we were out, you know, by ourselves and not within the tribe, we were much more likely to, uh, to not survive. So, so that's a huge part of it too. Right. 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 And now it's, yeah. So, so getting kind of excommunicated from society, it could have like previously could have killed us, uh, but now it seems like that sort of like social isolation or or you know fear of not of not being accepted that see it it there seems to be that same like intense fear um that's still kind of part of our brain right yeah the collective unconscious like we were talking about yeah yeah well, because public speaking is the top fear uh, for most people, like most people would rather die than get up and speak to a crowd of 300 people. Right. It's protection. It's the fear of, you know, embarrassing yourself and humiliation. Uh, yeah, that's, it's a, it's a really strong, primitive, primitive, uh, uh, way of being. Right. Out. Right. And I don't know, maybe, you know, as a segue to kind of talking about meditation, is that, uh, you know, something to kind of work on kind of combating that, that fear or, or just in, in the sense of being able to kind of, um, be more resilient at whatever life sort of throws at us. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you know, I, like I'm big into research and there's been like a hundred thousand different studies on mindfulness and meditation and how helpful it is not to mention all the thousands and thousands of years that people have already been doing it in different countries and cultures and religions. Um, And it's really a a sense of sitting with yourself, uh, non-judgmentally with curiosity and allowing your, your, your brain and your body to just kind of be and to recognize, so, so the difference is, so, you know, I, I'm, I do teach meditation 
But the difference for me as a therapist with teaching meditation is that it's interesting for me to know what the thoughts that are like kind of grabbing your attention because they, they are common. They're common thoughts and common themes that you'll be having, or what are the feelings that are grabbing your attention? What are the sensations in your body that are grabbing your attention? So uh, there, there is a level of like awareness um, in the work that I do with people when we do the, like kind of the meditation, but on their own, I really encourage people to just be able to kind of like to sit with themselves because our brains are very interesting things. I mean, it, it wants to, you know, goes on the default mode network and it'll start thinking about, Oh, what am I going to make for breakfast? Or, Oh, I can't believe John said that. And, and so it's really about bringing yourself back to the present moment and being as much as possible with your five senses and your introspective senses as well, so that you can, um, combat and decrease your brain going on default mode network to thinking about things that aren't actually really happening, which cause you anxiety or ruminating about things that have happened in the past, which increases symptoms of uh, depression and grief. I mean, um, it is important to, to be able to recognize those symptoms as, as you're having them but to be stuck in that place and not be in the real world and, and be in the here and now is not very healthy. And it's also puts your, again, puts your body in a sympathetic mode, especially if it's much more thinking, you know, more about or worried more about things or stressed out about something. So um, with meditation, I mean, again, you know, there's so much research about what type parts of the area of the brain it, it helps to expand and helps to decrease. So, I mean, you know, we can get into that, but, but there's, there's just so much research on it about how helpful it is to just sit with yourself. And it's not even the time, it's really the consistency. So doing it even for five minutes every day where you're concentrating, and I do a lot of uh, uh, pasana, so that's like uh, the mindfulness, so breathing, mm -hmm. because that's the, that's very tangible. We're always breathing. And then you can figure out, and you can actually, it also helps you to be more aware of your breath throughout the day when you're not in meditation, because you can, um, you can see, oh, wow, I'm only breathing in for like a second and breathing out for a second. I, my, my, maybe my sympathetic nervous system is activated for some reason. I wonder why. And, you know, being able to bring that back into session or journaling about it is very helpful. So uh, I think meditation is probably, I mean, that's the, if I, I always tell people that that's a practice that they should, should be doing. And, and it's really the consistency again. So even doing it for five minutes, but doing it daily is very important. Right, right. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, as far as like, uh, you know, what you've seen in the research, because uh, you know, I've talked to different friends about it. I had a friend who recommended uh, this book to me called Altered Traits. Um, it was written by uh, Richie Davidson, one of the the leading meditation researchers, I think at the, I think he's at the University of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. um, and in the book, they talked a lot about, you know, the differences seen in kind of brain imaging studies on on people who, you know, were just kind of like daily meditators versus 
people who did these like intensive uh, work, you know, retreats, you know, these, you know, three day silent retreats and what, so I was just curious, you know, if you have any thoughts on, um, you know, like the differences, I don't, you know, a lot of people probably aren't going to, you know, be that uh, dedicated to, you know, give up their phones and their lives for, you know, a few days to just go and, and, uh, you know, sit with themselves. But uh, yeah, I'm just curious, you know, what, what you think the big differences are there? Well, that's interesting. I, I, I think that if you can implement it in your daily life, just like brushing your teeth, um, and eating and drinking water, um, it's m- probably going to be in the long run much, much better for you than doing those spurts of uh, the, you know, days of meditation. Mm-hmm. And not everybody has access to that either. But I think that could be pretty beneficial. But I, I, I think having the foundation of doing it daily is probably help, help is healthier and, and probably much more because, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, because I read a lot, I haven't read that book, but um, I read a lot about different spiritual practices and, and, and um, ways of kind of reaching levels of different conscious levels of consciousness. Um, I think sometimes we could use that to avoid how we're actually like really feeling and how we're doing. As a matter of fact, there is a defense mechanism called spiritualization where people will go to this place uh, and you can do it with meditation, right? Where you can go on these retreats and you're all about like, you know, meditating, but you're not really actually dealing with some internal things that, um, that are, that probably you want to deal with or you need to deal with, but you don't want to deal with them because you're avoiding them. So I think, I think for everybody, it would depend upon what you know what you want to get out of it when you start to use anything to avoid how you feel or your thoughts or or the the reality of your life then you kind of run into trouble so um i i think it's they're great and i think you know everybody should be able to do those meditation retreats you know just because you will learn more about yourself you, you know you can get to a deeper state of consciousness and you can see how um how really the reality of the world is not so much the reality it's that your perception of the reality of the world which you know uh i think that's like kind of a higher level of like dealing with it but i think you first have to deal with all the things that have happened or the, not all the things, because you can't possibly, but the things that are making you avoid uh, dealing with things in your life. So I guess it's a roundabout way to say a daily practice, in my opinion, is probably more beneficial if you, but as you are doing the daily practice, that you're also checking in with yourself, you're paying attention to how you feel, you're paying attention to your thoughts, um, and you're starting to kind of question some of those things. Um, and then, you know, doing those like, you know, weak Vipassanas or whatever it is, cause I've done them too, but, um, I do feel like there is, there can be an avoidance if mm-hmm. that makes sense. It does. Yeah. yeah. 
And I'm curious, kind of like other ways, um, you know, other ways besides meditation, maybe to kind of build up that resilience. Um, one thing that just comes to mind, I don't know if you follow any of the, the research um, on psychedelics. A little bit. <laughs> um, look, I, you know, I personally uh, have not, you know, delved into that. I follow a couple of psychiatrists that actually do use and, and talk about that a lot in their practice and talk about how it's helpful. Um, I think it can, it can be very helpful, but definitely you have to be working with somebody who knows what they're doing and um, can, and has a passion for it, I think, and who's also done it themselves. Um, I think that could be very, very helpful. Because there, I mean, there's, I mean, there's just so much that we don't know about our brains and how it functions, what happens. Um, I'm also like, you know, just a little bit more reserved about that kind of stuff because, you know, it could lead to a psychotic break. I mean, it doesn't happen for everybody, that's for sure. But, you know, you really just have to be careful and, you know, do it with somebody who is qualified and trained and licensed. Because um, I know I know a couple of people who do microdosing of shroom mushrooms, and um, you know, not necessarily under the uh, the watch of anybody professional. Yeah. So I get a little concerned about that. Um, but I, look, I think you know we have all of these tools, and we are really just at the end of the day, the day, just trying to feel better. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of the things that we're using to feel better are externally outside of ourselves. And that's, that's another concern. But again, you know, in terms of neuro, the, you know, neurotransmitters and neuro, you know, the biology, neuro, whatever is happening in our brains, like, you know, there could be some misfiring, there could be, you know, a limited amount of, you know, serotonin or dopamine or whatever it is that we don't know and we can never really tell without actually trying these things out. And that's why when people, you know, start psychiatric medication, there's really no science to it except that, you know, if you somebody in your family had depression, they were on Lexapro, they'll and it worked for them, they'll they'll try that first. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't work, then they'll try Wellbutrin. If that doesn't work, they'll try that. You know, there they there's a there's that kind of science where they'll, you know, figure out what can help you the most the problem is is that we really don't know um and then we don't know with the psychedelics so i really actually kind of go more towards the things that you could do for yourself that help you to connect more internally so you know uh meditation and mindfulness is my go-to yoga is great and amazing at connecting not only your mind um but your mind body brain together um, and decreasing that nervous system response. Martial arts is great. Uh, tai Chi, uh, Qigong is good. There's so many uh, different things that people that are alternative ways, breathing practices, pranayama. There's so many alternative ways holistically that I think I probably would look at first before uh, psychedelics. But look, people are suffering. And you know, if you're suffering a lot and you have tried all of these things, or you need a more of an immediate, you know, um, more of an a, a, a immediate response. Um, 
than, than trying some of these other ways that kind of externally help you to get to a place where you can maybe even get to a place where you can meditate. Because a lot of people, it's very hard for them to actually start meditating mm-hmm. um, because they can't calm their brains down. So I know it was a long answer for that question, but no, no that, kind of it. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it seems like, I mean, taking care of the, the basics, the, you know, you know, taking control of our nervous systems and, you know, making sure that, I mean, stuff as simple as like breathing, right? It's like breathing like we, you know, we, everyone, we're all doing it anyway, but most of us don't think about it or don't control it. Um, so it makes sense that something like that or, you know, yoga could be, you know, incredibly effective. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, just is, as far as, you know, moving forward in, you know, psychology or psychiatry, um, what sort of, what sort of things do you think we're going to see changing in the future? Do you think we're going to see more of this sort of wellness, you know, psychotherapy that you're talking about, um, where people, there seems to be this sort of societal or like, you know, Western societal shift towards more you know, natural remedies or, you know, more holistic sort of uh, treatment approaches compared to, you know, just popping a pill and, you know, hoping that uh, it's going to work out. Yeah. Well, because it doesn't, I mean, it works out for some people, but not for everybody. I mean, you know, I've worked with so many people who started taking medication and, you know, really, again, it goes to what we talked about earlier. It's, it's the, it's the self-awareness of what it is, what are the triggers that are going on for somebody and why they, you know, what that, what that triggers in terms of their feelings or their thoughts and their behaviors. So a lot of it's like this, the cognitive behavioral therapy is a big part of that. Um, acceptance and commitment therapy is actually, uh, goes a bit deeper than cognitive behavioral therapy because it's more about accepting uh, being committed to, you know, what you want your life to look like. That's why, you know, the purpose and meaning is so important to the work that I do. And then, you know, living your life based on that. So I think where I see things going, um, is, you know, the stigma hopefully will be decreased. That really frustrates me because I'm, you know, anybody who has had any kind of like trauma or experience in their life, all of that shapes who you are now. I mean, that's, you know, your early experiences we know are implicitly in your mind, uh, particularly, I guess your right brain is, you know, what they think. And, and so, and it's not until, you know, later on where you start to get the more cognitive, higher level functionings of a human um, in terms of attention, concentration, you know, until you would, those things that you can make meaning and understanding of the implicit part of your brain. So I, I, I'm hoping that there'll be more research about that and we can utilize that more. Um, and using all of these different wellness practices, like you said earlier, I mean, we're coming to, to a point where just taking a medication is not, is, is not helpful for, I don't even know what the, the statistic is, but for most people, um, 
and also too, I mean, I just have thought, which is, is something that I get frustrated with is that like a lot of the people who are prescribing those medications are not even psychiatrists or, right. or pediatric nurse practitioners, they're physicians and you tell them, oh, I'm depressed. I, you know, I lost my mom like, you know, three months ago. Oh, okay. Well, let me give you an antidepressant so that you can like, you know, deal with it. And, and there's just so much more that needs to be dealt with and worked through and processed that that medication can just, it, it can never do, you know, no matter how much serotonin, you know, it inhibits or, you know, like it inhibits. There's just no, you know, and, and, and there's no, um, there's no substitute for having a human connection and conversation that uh, from somebody who's like really listening and really paying attention. So I don't, so I think actually therapy is going to be less stigmatized and people will uh, be doing it much more regularly. Uh, that's, that's my hope. And that the therapist um, will be much more holistically oriented and focus on, okay, biological functionings, you know, what's, what's happening there physiologically with you. I mean, sleep, is like the foundation of, of everything. If you're not sleeping well, you are, your mood is impacted. What you choose to eat is impacted. How the feelings of fatigue that you, you know, your body budget is impacted. So, you know, really kind of getting people to understand how to first and foremost take care of themselves physio uh, you know, physically and physiologically and have a sense of safety and connectedness, not only with, um, other people, but also with something bigger than them too. So I think that um, the spiritual peace and connection is, is going to be something really big. And probably because, you know, people are trying these psychedelics, there is, there is a, there is a question of how like consciousness, right? And what is consciousness? And, and, and from my experience and from reading the limited amount of research that I've read on it and like books and stuff um, that there is a, a questioning of consciousness and an expansion that some that it, that it's that there's something bigger when people are taking psychedelics um, I think um, Michael Pollan he wrote he wrote that the book about psychedelics I can't remember what it's called but he he's a he writes about food and I think the reason why he started writing about um, psychedelics was because his father had cancer and he wanted to try to figure out how could I like help my father what could I do and and I think in his research what he came what he came to find was that pe people were giving psychedelics to um, cancer uh, patients who were um, in hospice or you know had like just a limited amount of time to live and they were freaking out about the idea of death and dying because they didn't know where they were going to go. The fear of the unknown, right? To go back to what we just we were talking about before this is the uncertainty when your brain doesn't know what's going to happen, then it, 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 it freaks out. So being able to be connected to something bigger or understand consciousness, a, a, a one consciousness, if, if that's what you know you believe or or God or something bigger, I think is also going to be something that's going to be more implemented more in, in psychotherapy. Um, 
And I think that's just probably where it's going to go because, I mean, we've been in the pharmaceutical stage for a while now. And guess what keeps on increasing? Depression and anxiety. It hasn't, it's gotten worse. And as a matter of fact, I think the World Health Organization says like within a few years, like, you know, the highest, the, the top reason for death is going to be depression, depress, depressive related um, disorders and issues. So, well, maybe it's not death, but, but the, the oh, of, of people not being able to work. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, is depression and and we already know that you know anxiety and stress account for like 80 percent of the visits in you know for the medical professionals when people go to see a doctor it's really related to stress it's really related to anxiety which is related to that core feeling of fear and fearing the unknown or fearing what what's going to happen to you and um i think that we're 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 going to have to take more of a holistic approach because what we're doing now is isn't really working. Right. Well said. Um, what do you, I was just uh, thinking. You know, what do you what do you think about those? I've seen a couple of the like ads for those apps. Those like therapy apps. I think just like on Instagram or something. But uh, I mean, it's an interesting potential model where you know you know instead of having to you know go and you know. Uh, meet with a therapist once a week or whatever it is where you could just kind of have access to that person. So whenever you're experiencing something difficult or having a rough night or, you know, whatever it may be, if you sort of have that person, um, you know, have kind of a, a more of an ease of access, do uh, you see that as kind of like really uh, exploding in the future? Or is it, do you think it's kind of more of a like a fad? Um, I, I actually, I would not have said this prior to three weeks ago, <laughs> but I think that it probably will. Um, I, I think it's great because I, anytime anybody fe- feels less alone and more supported is amazing. And we have an epidemic of loneliness in this country. Um, and I, you know, it, it goes to, I think, to our priorities. Our priorities are not really each other. It's, you know, status, money, power. I think things, I'm hoping things will shift. Um, and it seems like they might be, but, but I, I think actually those are, are very helpful to dip your toe into connecting with somebody. Um, I think most people are afraid of, of therapy and of a therapist. And that's also part of the reason why I kind of coined the term wellness psychotherapist because, you know, when you hear, oh, I'm seeing a psychotherapist or I'm seeing a therapist, people freak out. There's a stigma. Oh, there must be something really wrong with me or I might be crazy, you know. Um, So I think that it actually will help decrease the stigma Mm -hmm. and it will help people get to a therapist's office at some point in their life because they'll they'll hopefully find the benefit uh, from it. So I'm, I'm really... I, I'm hopeful that, that that's a great way to, to connect and, and to get people to come to therapy. But again, my, see, I have to, I've been doing the virtual sessions, you know, cause we're on lockdown here sure. um, for the last three weeks. And um, luckily I've had, I've had, I have a relationship with all the people that I'm working with. 
Um, I don't know what it would be like to start off a relationship virtually. Um, I mean, I've done some like wellness stuff, uh, you know, virtually uh, with groups uh, because of, you know, COVID-19, but I haven't started seeing any individual person through the virtual visits. So I'm not really quite sure. I mean, I'm sure it'll be, it'll be fine because it's like the reality of the situation. This is what we have to do, but there's, but there's nothing that takes the place of having a relationship with somebody personally where you feel their energy where, I mean, we co-regulate ourselves with each other, right? So you're, we have 80 different facial muscles in our face. Um, and, you know, just a small, like furrowing the brow or like squinting, whatever it is, like you're interpreting my facial expressions and I'm interpreting yours. And it's very, it's challenging to do that over video. You can do it, but I find it, it's a little bit more difficult and then also the energy that you know you have when when you're with somebody in a in a personal setting you know mm-hmm. uh, physically you know we know that and we I think we're going to unfortunately feel the the ramifications of that within the next couple of weeks more so than now you know the 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 you know if you have just a few people that you're that you can socially connect with because we're all socially distancing um that's uh, that's amazing that you have at least one or two people. Um, but what, what is it going to be like for us as human beings? Cause we're not used to being in these kinds of situations to not have that like physical connection. So it makes me think that, yes, it's great. All of these services for online therapy. Uh, I think the, 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 the least, uh, uh, I guess, one that I don't feel good about is the texting. I don't really think that that's that helpful, but I, I think the virtual, um, you know, auto, you know, calling or virtual visits are, are very helpful. Um, but again, anything to make people feel less alone is, 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 is great. And good. Right. Absolutely. This is something really random, but I, it just came to mind when you, when you brought up about, you know, uh, but the 80, 80 facial muscles. I don't yeah. know if you had, you had seen something. So there was like something about, uh, they found that people who got Botox or like a lot of Botox done that it actually like inhibited like their ability to feel, I forgot if it was like feel or to perceive other people's emotions because it's like they're not able to display the facial correlates of emotion you know yeah. so you've seen that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's funny because you know it, it's a as a woman just generally like we're always worried about how <laughs> we look and <laughs> so i i think yeah yeah there's no way that uh you i would ever be able to do that um i i do i do i've seen some therapists who who do have botox and people who have Botox just generally, and it is, it's, it's, it's harder. So if, if I'm like looking like this and you're, you're like, what the heck is she like, you know, what, what is she, what is her facial like expression saying to me? Mm-hmm. Then you're confused. And then I'm going to yeah. be confused because of we are co-regulating with each other. Right. So it's, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and I, yeah, I think again, it's, it again goes back to like, you know, what do you value? What's a priority? 
like, you know, yeah, you know, we want to be youthful. We want to like look good. As a matter of fact, that's generally why people like, you know, exercise and take care of themselves is more for vanity than anything else. Um, but the really is, is having, it has having like good relationships and connecting with people and being able to support and love one another because, you know, out of all those regrets that Bonnie Ware is talking about, they're all about like, how do you show up for yourself first and foremost, you know, your authentic self, uh, and how do you show up for other people and connecting with other people and having relationships. And so, you know, uh, the more, the more authentic you are with who you are and what's happening to you, even if it's not like, you know, aesthetically exciting and pleasing, uh, the better you are um, in terms of connecting with, with yourself and being authentic with yourself and being authentic with others. Well said. I, I really like that. And I think this is a, a great place to, to kind of wrap up. Um, as far as, uh, you know, any, any resources, Victoria, that you would direct people to or anything that you'd like to plug? Sure. So I uh, have been for a while doing these mental health wellness Wednesdays on Instagram and on Facebook and on Instagram, I'm at wellness psychotherapist. Um, on Facebook, I'm, you can, I guess, look me up just wellness psychotherapist. I have a Facebook page. It's very similar the content. Um, I have a web, a website, Victoria Rivera, lcsw.com uh, or wellness psychotherapist, nyc.com. And the content that I have is all really about like kind of helping people to understand themselves. Um, and there's, you know, I focus more on, you know, building self-awareness first and foremost, have being accepting of who you are and yourself and how you react. And that that's like what we talked about before, understanding your biology just as a human and then your biology given your experiences with your with growing up and your family your temperament like all of those things um and then having compassion self-compassion and being able to feel for yourself and take care of yourself just like you would anybody that you loved uh, because i think a lot of us don't feel good enough about ourselves we don't feel worth it you know um so talk a lot about you know the probability of you know you being born of me being born and what like quote unquote a miracle it actually is and all of us have something internally within us that we need to get out into the world and what ends up you know holding us back really is all of that like psychological kind of like mess that we have to kind of like through to to bring that out and then the self-regulation stuff, which is really about like, you know, like the meditation and yoga, how do you start these practices? You know, especially when it's very hard for, our, for, for us to change our habits, to, to change our minds about things. So but that content, it's all around that. That's all the content that I have. Um, and the last four weeks on, actually, I've been doing a lot about uh, mental health triage and COVID-19 because, you know, no matter where you are in the world, there it's affecting you. And um, you know, you, we all have our own personal issues and problems. And now we have this overarching uh, anxiety and cloud over us and uncertainty that our brains are trying to like figure out and deal with. And it's very, very difficult. So I have some triage, mental health triage stuff that I think is very helpful. So um, awesome. Yeah, there. Thank you so much. Awesome. Really. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you for, for coming on the show. Um, and if you guys did enjoy the show today, um, check us out uh, on YouTube, Roscoe's Wetsuit. You can see uh, the video version of the podcast there. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio if you just want the audio. Um, and go follow us on Instagram at uh, Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. All right. Thanks so much again, Victoria. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye. All right. Bye.